Hello and welcome to Adam and Eve, your feminist radio show on CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton and around the world on CJSR.com. My name is Marco Visconti. And my name is Harmon Kang. Thank you for tuning in. On today's show, we're sharing stories from women entrepreneurs. In a social and political climate where women and other marginalized folks are not treated as equitably as white men, we want to discover what it means to be your own boss. Our first story comes from Andrea Bessa, the host of That's So Maven, an Edmonton-based podcast about women and femme entrepreneurs and leaders. I spoke with Andrea earlier this week to find out what moved her to create a network for women entrepreneurs in the city and what she's learned so far. Being a maven is just really being like an expert in your field, um, which I think everyone I've spoken to is, but it's also not a gendered word. Mm. Like it's not a word that means woman or man in business. It just means expert at your craft. So could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So I I run a business. I'm a professional storyteller, uh, which kind of manifests itself in a few different ways. I'm a writer. That's kind of been my through line um, in life, telling stories. Uh, But I also have worked in theater and film. And so right now I work as a writer and filmmaker and photographer. And I also run a podcast called That's So Maven, which is centered on uh, women and femme-identifying folks uh, in business and in leadership roles. What was the motivation behind creating a podcast about entrepreneurs? So uh, it was kind of twofold. At the end of 2015, I went full-time on my own. So I'd been freelancing on the side for years and years and years. um, And I officially uh, went full-time. And pretty quickly realized that um, being uh, an entrepreneur and being especially being a solo entrepreneur, it's a very isolating. Uh, not only was I working mostly alone just because of the type of work I do. I do a lot of film editing and stuff like that. So I'm in this little bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can be also very uh, sort of socially isolating um, in the sense that uh being an entrepreneur has a lot of unique stresses and it has it has a it's a unique lifestyle (laughs) everything changes everything's different um and it can be really hard to um find a sense of understanding and sort of kinship even in the people you love most it's just hard because a lot of the times unless they also run a business they don't quite like get it in quotes um just the the unique stress of like having your entire livelihood on your shoulders of not having um a steady timed paycheck of not having benefits of um you know having to work really odd hours or all the time um so there was kind of that element of it i really wanted to uh open up and start just having that network of support so you wanted to like connect with other people who kind of worked in the same way or like also might have been feeling isolated so what are some Um, things that you've learned from talking to uh, all these women entrepreneurs? I think some of the most overarching things I've learned are that um, you're not alone. Everyone struggles. Everyone has the same um, fears and self-doubt. And everyone, no matter how long they've been in business, has imposter syndrome uh, very frequently, if not daily. (laughs) Um, Another thing I've learned is that business is business. So, I mean, 
I've spoken to to people who, I mean, have such different, like vastly different careers from, you know, um, designing fashion to working with um, high-end performance horses to, uh, you know, writers and communicators and illustrators and like everything in between, massage therapists, like everything. Um, and we all face the same basic challenges and we all have like the same basic goals. Um, so it's it's been really rewarding in the sense that while my particular niche is still quite small, um, I feel like I can connect on a certain level with any entrepreneur. Has anything surprised you or did you have a good idea going in of what kinds of topics you would discuss? You know, the, I think the thing that surprised me the most um, was just how many women in the city are running businesses. Like, uh, at the at the get-go, um, I initially had a co-host, and when we started, it was, it was like, well, we both know a handful of people, at least off the top of our minds, but I mean, to this day, uh, I still have about 60 women, um, and I've interviewed 70 uh, just in Edmonton who are running businesses. So that was staggering. I, I knew that there were so many amazing women in the city doing great things, but I don't think I, at the beginning, could have truly grasped just how many there are mm-hmm. um, and what a strong community it is. So very surprising in, in an amazing way. Mm-hmm. It ties back to the notion of isolation you mentioned before. What do you think kind of fuels that, I don't know, dynamic of all these people who own businesses, but you're not really aware of who all these people are until you, you go digging, right? Yeah, that's, wow, that's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, I think, first of all, we're always working. Like entrepreneurs mm, are so, <laughs> we're so busy. Um, there's also like women, I feel like no matter what industry we're in, do tend to get a bit isolated. This was something I sort of realized about a year ago when I was working on a short film with a, a women in film initiative. I had received funding as a female director to uh, make a short film through Tell a Story Hive, um, who are a fantastic initiative. And I wanted to take it further than just a female director. I wanted to hire as many women as I could. And I started searching for women in film and was coming up like with nothing. And I was just like, this isn't this isn't possible. And I was hitting up against like a pretty sexist wall in the industry, to be honest. Um, And it took me connecting with like one or two women and then. Uh, realizing that they knew people and knowing that I knew a few people I was kind of like this this isn't it isn't possible that there's no one in the city so I actually started a Facebook group for women in film in Edmonton specifically uh, and it's now almost 250 members deep Um, and I think that because we don't often get opportunities it no matter what industry you're in um, Aside from maybe the few like female domin- <laughs> dominant yeah. industries in the world, but they're they're pretty few and far between. But um, we just kind of tend to we don't even get the exposure, right? Mm-hmm. And bec- so because we're not going out on these projects or work opportunities or, or whatever the case may be, we're not meeting each other. I always feel like there's a mythology around the entrepreneur as someone who is free and like takes charge and is their own boss. So I'm wondering, do you think that becoming an entrepreneur is a way for us to create uh, freer, more equitable labor relations? Oh, that's a good question. Big question. <laughs> it is a big question. Uh, yes, I do absolutely think that becoming an entrepreneur is a way to 
um, to change things for yourself and to start making change, right? Because I mean, if you're hiring people, you get to choose who you're hiring and you can be really conscious in those decisions to um, make sure that you're hiring, you know, a, a diverse and kind of inclusive group of people to work with you. I can only really speak to my industry, I yeah. guess, uh, like to really well, but um, depending on the type of industry and you're in, um, you're still going to hit walls with, you know, whether it's with like collaborations or moving up uh, in what you're doing, um, or with comp- like competition in your industry. So there's still, I mean, there's still so much work to do and there's still so many factors, but I think definitely doing your own thing is, um, a great way to not only kind of set the president for like who you are and what you value, um, but to start creating change on a, on a smaller scale, which hopefully just like, you know, yeah. grows and takes <laughs> over the world. <laughs> well, you're a great example, you know. Welcome back to Adam and Eve, your feminist radio show on CJSR. My name is Harmon Kang. And my name is Marco Visconti. Thank you for tuning in. We just finished listening to an interview with Andrea Bessa, the host of That's So Maven, an Edmonton-based podcast about women and femme entrepreneurs. If you'd like to learn more about Andrea, you can follow her podcast on all social media at Yeg Mavens. Or you can visit her website, andreabessa.work. That's A-N-D... R-E-A-B-E-C-A dot work. Our next story comes from Carrie Armstrong. Carrie is the owner of Mother Earth Essentials, a proudly Aboriginal-owned business that sells natural essential oils and products based in cream medicinal practices. Earlier this week, Adamant Eve producer Rosiva Fork Jenkins met with Carrie to discuss her path to starting her business. So today I am in studio with Carrie Armstrong. Hi. Hi, Carrie. Um, so can you tell us a bit about yourself and your business? Sure. Um, I am uh, originally grew up in the Hinton area and uh, lived very close and connected with my grandmother and, uh, ex- and much of our family lives in that area in Jasper. So um, an important piece of my business and of my life is my grandma's story because uh, she was an Indigenous Cree woman who loved the plants. Her mom and her grandma were medicine, known medicine women in the Laxinan area and had a real passion for the plants and the healing. You know, when my mom was young, my mom was born in 46, was taken into residential school when she was about 10 and with her sisters. And it absolutely crushed my grandmother, of course, and she became very ashamed of her heritage. But the times that she was really happy and excited was when we were out in the bush picking plants and, and private from everybody else where she wasn't worried. So it always inspired me. Um, I knew I loved the plants. I didn't know what to do with that. So I went into cosmetics and cosmetology and that wasn't satisfying. So then went back to school later in life and became a teacher and was employed at a Miskwichi Academy which is our local Indigenous high school in Edmonton. And I was placed to teach health and calm and uh, foods and cosmetology. So kind of some uh, leeway in my teaching. And we started utilizing the plants behind the school. They had some traditional plants growing. And I started bringing those in and working with them and letting the kids smell them and make teas with them and saw such 
um, positivity out of that, like urban kids who had never left the city, who kind of lost touch with their home, smell wild mint and just soften. And you could just see the the change in them, right? Just from smell and just from remembering, you know, being really young and getting um, these healing plants, right? So uh, I, I was so excited and I thought this is such a way to connect with these kids and connect to my grandma and connect to Mother Earth. It was just really exciting. And I used my cosmetic background and that um, experience with teaching to create a business. It's wonderful to hear about your relationship with plants. Um, Do you think that has really evolved or um, changed over the years with your relationship now, the difference between using them for teaching and then in a business? Oh, that's a really interesting question. So I think when I first started the business, I was way more connected, actually. And I was picking, we had an acreage, and I would go out and actually pick the plants that we'd use in our tea blends and spend, you know, the entire day picking and then drying and and really working hands-on. And as the business has grown, actually, I feel like I've actually lost a little bit of it. But I do um, spend a lot of time in the schools with not the growing plants, but the dried plants. So we do um, sessions at schools and at companies to teach people about the traditional plant uses in Alberta, because so many people don't know that these incredible weeds that are driving them crazy are actually incredible little healers. About your business itself, so um, can you tell us about when you started it? Uh, How long ago was that? Uh, I started about 11 years, so I had been teaching at Amiskwichi and loving it, and then because I was one of the newer teachers and they moved within the public system, you know, teachers get moved around and they moved me to a different school and I was just kind of going, oh no, I, I, this isn't what I signed up for, right? Um, So I started, you know, thinking about the business again and decided that I would only do the one year and I would basically walk away from my teaching job and, and pursue this dream of mine of, of using the plants um, to create products, mainstream products. So I mean, I mean obviously, um, a bar of soap is not a traditional item, or a bottle of lotion, for that matter, is not traditional. But I thought, what is a way to get that same sense of wonder that I'd see in those students when they smelled something? Uh, kind of the same idea, right? Like, what can I do to get people uh, excited about Indigenous culture? to uh, bring it more mainstream and almost use every label on every product I made as a little teaching tool, a little lesson on the properties of that plant, the significance of that plant to Indigenous people in Canada. So, you know, we'd have a sweetgrass soap, right? And most people that I talked to didn't know what sweetgrass was used for. So we could take that opportunity to teach that. So that's what I started doing, and I just poured myself into it. That was, yeah, about 11 years ago. And so uh, what would you say are some of the challenges that you faced with uh, opening the business? Well, huge learning curve, right? Because I'm not a business person at all. So I didn't know the first thing about business. People, you know, you'd talk to people at the beginning, and we were on Dragon's Den, I think, five years ago. And you get these questions, and it's a totally different language, right? Probably I was always an entrepreneur at heart from the time I was very young, but I didn't have the confidence to pursue that dream. 
I thought that was not something I could do. Other people could, but I couldn't. So I didn't have the confidence. So that was a huge challenge to overcome that piece, to know, wait, I do have something to contribute and I can do this. And yeah, I suck at paperwork, but I could get someone to help me with that. So I was kind of learning how to deal with, and probably my ADHD gets me, you know, it's good when I'm trying to create something, but it's horrible when I'm trying to do my taxes. <laughs> Doing taxes is never fun, is it? Never fun, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, I guess, what advice would you give to other um, people who are thinking of starting their own business? Well, if I had to give myself advice coming from my perspective, it would be if you have something that you really believe in, like truly believe in and are passionate about, you don't have to be a business person. And I, I wish my niece is sitting outside my room here right now, and I, I tell her this all the time. Um, if you have, and she could be, she has an idea and she feels like she can't go into business until she goes back to school and gets you know, her credentials behind her. And I said, but business is just doing it. It's not like if you're passionate about something, it's about just taking the steps one step at a time and not getting overwhelmed. And I I think I did that at the beginning. It was like, oh, no, it's too much. I can't. And it would be like, no, just what can I do today to get closer to that, what I want to achieve in business, right? And not letting the others fears, I guess, keep me from doing that. Uh, no, I totally understand. It's. I think we can all get a bit overwhelmed when there's something we're really passionate about. Right. And you want to do it all and then you don't get anything done, right? So like for me, it was like, oh, I want to make soap and lotion and tea and I want to do this and I want to do that. It's like, whoa, just settle down. <laughs> let's just start with soap and let's get it done really well and then move on to the next thing. So... And um, just to finish off, uh, just to let our listeners know where they can buy your amazing products, where should they go to buy it? Well, we have a shop in Edmonton um, on 123rd Street and 111th Ave. We're in the Métis Veterans Building, actually, on the main floor. And uh, we have a great partnership with with the Métis Nation, and, and they've graciously, you know, always let us have a spot in the building and um, been really fair with with us that way and and been supportive so that's where we are and um, we have a lot of really great things in um, right now so we're excited about the store we did some renos and it's looking pretty good i'm sure our listeners will be very excited to go and experience your wonderful products for themselves thank you so much for talking to me today okay thanks for having me bye Welcome back to Adam and Eve, your feminist radio show on CJSR. My name is Marco Visconti. And my name is Harmon Kang. Thank you for tuning in. We just finished listening to an interview with Carrie Armstrong, the owner of Mother Earth Essentials here in Edmonton, about the path to starting her own business. For more information on Carrie and her business, you can visit MotherEarthEssentials.com. Our last story comes from Muhja Eltijani. Muhja is the founder and CEO of Natural Club, a line of fresh avocado hair masks designed for curly and Afro-textured hair. Muhja reached out to the show a few months ago, and we talked over the phone about her experiences as a black woman entrepreneur and designing a product made specifically for black women in mind. Here's what she had to say. First of all, um, thank you for contacting the show and you know, congrats on your Forbes 30 under 30 honor. That's so amazing. 
and it's so cool that you reached out to the show. You You wrote to us because of uh, our work equity segment, and you talked about encountering uh, challenges um, being a black woman entrepreneur. What I found curious about your email is that you said that this was just, um, you know, even though you own your own business, there are a whole um, new set of barriers for you to face. Uh, what what were these new barriers when you started your new your own company? The new barriers I I think really stem around fundraising. Um, when you're trying to raise money for a company that uh, like for me a consumer product for minority women, a lot of times it's hard to convince the investor that it's worthwhile to go after this demographic that you know this demographic. Because a lot of times, people can't see past themselves. So if I say this product isn't for you, but the the market is huge and we have an opportunity to really gain here, talking in terms of what they're looking for, is this something worth investing? Is this something that's going to bring me more money back? When I do talk about it in that lens, it always gets caught up with, okay, well, I can't see myself using this product, therefore, I don't know too much about it, therefore, I'm going to pass. Um, and so that that is tough, and that's one of the reasons why there's such a huge gap in funding. Um, and it's really white men against everyone else, right? So white men get so much more funding than um, minority men and a woman in general. And that's because the people who are making the shots are mostly over 70% white men themselves. So how did you go about convincing stakeholders to invest in your startup, knowing that they were coming from a different um, perspective from you and might not automatically see the value of your product? I got better in terms of pitching. So the questions that I get, uh, I just start adding it to the pitch. Okay, they don't understand. Okay, let's back up. They don't even understand what a deep conditioner is sometimes and how that differs from your in-shower conditioners. And so how do we define, we should define that um, using customer testimonials, bringing in customers. There's ways that we show that this is a real product and that we are credible because we have more customers. And as you grow, honestly, numbers do talk. And so even if they don't get it, the number signs behind the company uh, sometimes can push them forward with that. So do you hope Mm -hmm. that as you go forward that you can inspire other young black women entrepreneurs and you can help them um, manifest their own ideas? Oh, of course. That's the reason why I do this. Um, I believe that more women in general should start businesses, and especially black women. And I understand uh, the discouragement with it all because of what I'm going through sometimes. But I want people to know that we are out here. There are black women starting businesses and we're doing well and we want to support. Uh, And so representation matters so much because if you don't see someone who looks like like you in that space, a lot of times you might subconsciously make that connection that, oh, this isn't something that's meant for me. Business is not meant for me. And so I I make it a mission to go out there and to speak um, and to have small workshops with women to talk about this uh, and show them that you can do it too um, and we're all here to support you. Do you think that black women are 
um, are they like being are they going through business programs and then being pushed out once they get out like after graduation or do you think this discouragement starts even before um, before post-secondary education I guess I don't know the exact numbers but black women are starting businesses and minority people are starting businesses a lot more um, past couple of years however that gap that funding gap is so detrimental because if you really want to grow you do need um, money behind it and if your company can't make all that money at the beginning let's say you want to build more product lines let's say you want to build an app there is a lot of significant upfront costs that that you need and so if you're not able to get that you're not able to grow in the same sense as some of these unicorn companies black women specifically are starting companies i think the line though that stops them again is that funding so you have a lot of businesses that say uh, lifestyle businesses or they stay as a small business never become that enterprise or a Fortune 500 company because they don't have the resources to do so. I did want to talk a little bit about hair um, with you because uh, your product is it's aimed specifically towards um, black hair or afro textured hair which is still so mm-hmm. political um, to, to this day. Mm-hmm. And you hear stories all the time of black people being um, fired or denied jobs or kicked out of school for wearing their the, the way their hair grows naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering, um, what does wearing your natural hair mean to you? Was it political from the beginning or uh, was it just personal? That's a very interesting question and it boggles my mind that someone who could wear their natural hair that has to be a political statement. That just goes to show how much European-centric features are pushed upon us, mm-hmm. that if we decide to go against that and not have straightened hair or just wear our curls and our kinks, that means it's a political statement, right? right? So for me, it's not a political statement. It is just who I am. I am wearing my hair proudly, the way that it grows out of my head and the way that it's meant to grow out of my head. And so... With Natural Club, when I was starting the company, I didn't just want it to be a product company, and with, which is why I chose Club at the end of it. I wanted it to be a community that fosters this type of feeling and love and celebration for your hair. Mm-hmm. We have a forum, a newsletter, and um, just many ways that community members can uplift each other. We're not waiting for so-and-so to compliment on our hair. We're not waiting for America to acknowledge our hair right. or Canada to acknowledge our <laughs> hair or any Western country to acknowledge our hair, right? Uh, we are acknowledging it for ourselves and, and um, uplifting ourselves with that. Um, and the products are geared towards curlier hair types because I feel like products aren't usually made with us in mind, but they are still targeted for us. One out of every 12 um, hair products targeted towards black women are hazardous and toxic, contain a hazardous or toxic chemical. So they don't really care about what they're what you're putting into your hair. Um, and so we want to break that away. We want to have um, products that really nourish, moisturize, define, and strengthen your hair um, in a way that these hair products don't. Thank you so much again for um, making time to speak with me today. Uh, where can people find you if they want to find out more about you or Natural Club or if they want to join the forum conversations? You can 
find all of our fresh fruit hair products online at naturalclub.com. That's the word natural with the extra L, so N-A-T-U-R-A-L-L-B-L-U-B.com. And we have a special discount for all of your listeners. If you use the code NCE, so it's N-C-E-B-E, you get 15% off any order. So I hope you guys try it. Wow, thank you. That's so nice. Welcome back to Adam and Eve, your feminist radio show on CJSR. My name is Harmon Kang. And my name is Marco Visconti. We just finished listening to an interview with Mohja El-Tijani, the founder and CEO of Natural Club. If you want to learn more about Mohja and her line of fresh avocado hair masks for curly and afro-textured hair, you can visit naturalclub.com. That's N-A-T-U-R-A-L-L-C-L-U-B dot com. And that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode on women entrepreneurs and the challenges and triumphs of being your own boss. Have an excellent Adamant evening. Adamant Eve is a spoken word project of CJSRFM, and our journalism is funded by you, the listeners. We produce this week's show at the CJSR Studios in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, on Treaty 6 territory. We are grateful to the diverse Indigenous peoples of this land, including the Cree, Blackfoot, Métis, Nakota Sioux, Iroquois, Dene, Ojibwe, Soto, Anishinaabe, Inuit, and many others whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence our vibrant community. For more information on our program and to send us any feedback, please check out our website, adamandevecjsr.wordpress.com.